It's Monday, April 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Markerman. Happy, happy April. Yo, yo, yo. Happy April. Baseball. Opening day. Opening this day. Is effect, right? Which is why behind the glass today, <laughs> and we haven't seen her in so long and we miss her. Heather Horton is behind the glass. And that's because our man, Dan Boyd, who's usually behind the glass, he makes it a point on opening day to be at the game. He's in, so, the, he's in the bleachers. He's in the bleachers. I respect his enthusiasm and love for the game. Yes. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, there's I, I, one of the things I like about opening day is just walking around the office and seeing people's allegiances. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. got people rocking the St. Louis Cardinals hat, which I'm a little surprised you're not wearing. Well, I was going to wear the shirt, but I figure we're on camera, so I'll <laughs> rock a collar instead. Um, and we've got, uh, yeah, I saw uh, a Red Sox cap. I saw someone in a Seattle Mariners, Eric Bleeker's rocking the Seattle Mariners jersey yeah. and hat. So. I mean, it's more than just baseball, right? It signifies. Spring. The rebirth, right? Yes. Spring, yep. everything. And it's Master's Week, too. I mean, let's not neglect Oh, yeah, you got Thursday. Oh, we'll get to Thursday. Here. I mean, <laughs> golf is, is, this is arguably a more important week on the golf front because it is only a week. Yes. Like, in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at baseball and we're like, all right. It's like the seventh or couple week weeks. of like, you know, a 500 week season. But you did touch on something, and I will loop this back to investing. You did touch on something uh, that's key about opening day, which is. Optimism and hope. Yes, it's the first day of the baseball season. Unlike I would argue any of the other major sports, first day of baseball season, everybody's like, you know what? We got a shot this so you're year. Saying there's a chance. <laughs> We're saying there's a chance. All right, just like, just like investors think, you know what? There's a chance the Tesla Motors could someday be bigger than Ford Motor. <laughs> And it is today, because shares of Tesla are up 5%, hitting a new all-time high on the news that the company delivered 25,000 vehicles in the first quarter. And not to put too fine a point on it, but that is not a big number of vehicles. And yet, for Tesla, it is a record. And I think that's what's driving the stock today. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I think that uh, we always talk about the fact that the market is forward-looking. And I know for some, that may come across as a bit obscure or maybe uh, unclear exactly what we're trying to, to imply. Um, the basic point is, the market is always making these valuations. It's, it's, it's making these stock price valuations based on what they think the future holds for these companies. It's less about the rear-view mirror and more about what's down the road uh, coming, coming up. And I think that Tesla is a, is a great um, sort of example of this of this principle of this idea. If you look at Tesla compared to Ford, because that is the big comparison today, market cap versus cars sold in 2016, Ford sold around 6.7 million vehicles, and its market cap today is about 45 billion dollars. Tesla in 2016 sold a little bit over 76,000 vehicles. <laughs> okay, so a significant multiples less difference there. And and its market cap is forty seven billion dollars, so about two billion dollars more than Ford is today. And and I I think that's more a testament to what the market thinks Tesla can do versus sort of uh, holding something against Ford, because Ford, by all measurements, has performed pretty well, especially when you consider how difficult this industry really is, and sort of the uh, the external factors that come into play here, but. Um, yeah, I mean, clearly, we've talked about it before. I mean, Tesla is more than than just a car company, and I think that's where a lot of this optimism comes from. In that it is a 
battery company. It's an energy company. It's it's all of these things rolled into one. And there are some great expectations um, in that stock price today. Yeah, I think that's the key word is Tesla, not Tesla Motors. They yeah. changed their name because now they own Solar City, building the Gigafactory. Uh, by 2020, they say a million batteries are going to pop out of there at the same time that they expect to be producing a million cars a year. Um, so they're fully supporting their own business on the battery side. That's going to be the largest building footprint in the history of the world if they complete it um, by 2020 and no one outdoes them before then. I, I doubt that would happen, but um, massive undertakings between the battery factory, Solar City, and Tesla. And, and they believe that they're going to roll all three of them together and you're going to be powering your Tesla with Solar City solar panels and your home with Powerwall and Power Pack batteries. It's, it's the entire package in their mind and they're working hard at all three. They're working hard at all three, but again, they've. Elon Musk uh, was it last year or maybe even at the end of 2015 when he put out the number that we're going to deliver half a million vehicles in 2018. Yeah. So the 25,000 that's a record, fabulous. They got to do five times as many <laughs> in Q1 of 2018 if they're going to, or they got, or they got to come if not five x at least three or four x. Yeah, and I mean he's known for putting some bold. Predictions out there. He sets pretty high, pretty high bars. I mean, it it doesn't really take into account anything that perhaps is unforeseen. Any kind of big picture macroeconomic challenges uh, could jump in there and completely change the outlook here. And it wouldn't really be even their fault, so to speak. But um, I think you know one of the things I was telling you before taping it. I was at at home over the weekend and. You know, we're getting settled in this new place, got a huge yard, and so of course with a huge yard comes lawn mowing responsibilities. So when I got a lawn mower and uh got a got a nice battery powered mower and it started I start thinking, I'm like, man, why don't I mean I would love to have an entire arsenal of Tesla lawn equipment. <laughs> a lawnmower, a blower, hedge clippers, and edge all of this stuff. Like to me, like we, I didn't even consider getting a gas-powered lawnmower because I. That just to me that those those days are gone. I mean, if you can get a battery-powered one or even a cord-powered one, I mean, the battery-powered mower is great. I mean, there's no gas, there's no oil. You don't have to change spark plugs. You don't stink after you're being uh, after you <laughs> mowed the yard. Um, to me, I, Elon Musk, where is my Tesla lawnmower? Because I would love one. I mean, that to me, like that is a brand Tesla. That communicates a lot of things that a lot of people love, and I mean, we are only going further down that road of battery-powered everything. Get us some yard equipment out there, I man. You could totally own that market, and it's a it's a really big one. Isn't that a partnership just waiting to happen with Deer? Seems Deer, like it could be a partnership yeah, with someone. I mean, you know, utilize Home Depot as your national distributor of choice, and then you've got that thing in I don't know three thousand stores, you know, US US Y. I mean. It just seems like a big opportunity that's just kind of hanging out there. Because if the Tesla lawnmower was an option, now nah, I, I, I have a Ford Explorer and I love it, and I'm probably not quite there for a Tesla car yet. Maybe one day, but man, I would be willing to bite that bullet on a Tesla lawnmower today, right now, if they had it. Well, one word of caution that I did, hadn't considered until reading an Evan New article a month or so ago about his own experience with his Tesla is that he his wife got in a fender bender, somebody rear-ended her. And it's taken months for them to fix it because they don't have the spare panels. I read because they're too busy that. trying to churn out brand new vehicles rather than replacement parts. So he's probably been the biggest uh, person that I know out, most outspoken about Tesla. Owns them, um, writes about them extensively, and uh, something that kind of maybe changed my perspective about Tesla and the growth because 
they have to service their existing customers too if you want them to be repeat buyers. And I'd also say for investors out there, because this is a neat day if you're a Tesla shareholder, a great <laughs> milestone day, like that, yeah. that's been reached here. And I don't think any of us really doubted it would happen. But it also speaks to, uh, in the world of investing, I mean, th- this is a company, there's still plenty of risk out there in, mm-hmm. in regard to these shares because you're not just a car company or a battery company, solar company. All of these things. Create sort of a bit more of a black box syndrome. It's a very difficult business to fully understand um, when you try to, to piece together all of the financials. Uh, it, this is a great example of why we think position sizing matters. So, with Tesla, I mean, we could sit here and argue the stock's too expensive. Maybe some people think it's a great value. Either way, I mean, this is the kind of business I think where if you if you want to be a part of this story, this is why you take just a nice sort of reasonable sized position. This is not a position in your portfolio that should be uh, heavily weighted because if the worst happens and the stock gets cut in half, well, then you only have a little bit of exposure. But if you're participating, then you can participate all the way up and. It, I mean, these guys are going to need to continue to to raise capital as time goes on, and that's going to come through the form of raising debt, and it's going to come through issuing shares. And if you look at their share count outstanding, it continues to go up. Mm -hmm. So while their market cap continues to go up as well, if that share count continues to go up, that's going to play out on that share price. And and certainly, if you look over the past three years and one year, uh, the lower hanging fruit seems to have come from from the five year chart. But more recently, this has been a bit of a, a sort of a tougher hurdle to clear. Uh, for shareholder returns, so just just keep that in mind if you, if you're interested in this uh, as as an investment idea, or if you already own shares today. For the first time in nearly a decade, Starbucks has a new CEO, Kevin Johnson, who has been president and chief operating officer for the past two years, gets the corner office starting today. And as a longtime Starbucks shareholder, I obviously <laughs> wish Mr. Johnson well. Uh, selfishly, I hope this goes better than the last <laughs> couple of times. Howard Schultz has stepped away from the CEO office, and he. He claims the third time is a charm. He says, I'm not going to be meddling. I'm he's still on as chairman, which is great. Let's just go around the table real quick. Any any thoughts as Kevin Johnson takes the helm and it can be in the form of a request. It can be in the form of advice, although none of us know anything about <laughs> running a multi-billion dollar public company. But Jason, I'll just start with you. Uh, I mean, you know the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, it seems like Starbucks is doing some things pretty well. Um, the interviews I've read with him, it sounds like he is really, he embraces the fact that Howard Schultz is still going to be a part of this story. I mean, this is the kind of situation where you almost have like a co CEO role. It's not going to be that way, um, but you're, you're still going to have this just vast resource of knowledge. Uh, to, to, to really fall back on to with, with Howard Schultz, because Schultz is still going to be a big part of this business. Um, he, he's made sure to, to let Kevin Johnson know that he is the CEO and the buck stops with him. But, but utilize, utilize that resource in Howard Schultz, um, because really, there isn't a lot that needs to be done here. You just kind of need to keep on doing the same thing. Um, and, and I think that uh, the company will do well, and I think shareholders should expect a, a more of the same. Taylor? Uh, yeah, just please remain focused on the long term. Don't get caught up in near-term distractions and, and issues. Obviously, handle them. But Howard Schultz has been talking about mobile payment and ordering for years, and now you see that really causing somewhat of a negative disruption at the company because it's increasing demand more than they maybe even have thought or were prepared for. So, a good thing, slightly a bad thing in the near term, but keep that long-term focus. Try to remain ahead of the curve because um, Howard Schultz has been able to do that for years, and uh, I don't want them to lose that foresight. I agree with 
everything you both said, I would also just add there's still an opportunity in food. Starbucks food is not where the coffee is. And in terms of any time we look at a restaurant company and we're thinking about the stock, one of the things that we look at, and for retailers in general, we talk about this with companies like Home Depot and Lowe's all the time, the average ticket order. How much are people spending when they go in? And I think with Starbucks, there's still an opportunity to increase the average ticket order. Well, yeah, and uh, mobile. I saw an interesting stat: mobile order and payment has, uh, and their membership program has really increased that average order size. I think the lowest third of their, in terms of money spent in store, um, those customers once they join the membership program, they increase their spending by about seventy percent just by joining the membership program. So yeah, it's amazing. Continue to to ramp that up and, and and take advantage. Food is at one place where they've never quite nailed yeah. it. I, mean, I can't say exactly why. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you could get out there and just copy some competitors, but it just makes me wonder if it would be a would it be a compelling deal to bring something like a Starbucks and a Panera together? Hmm. I just I, because I feel like Panera really does that food part well, and and they've certainly embraced technology and sort of brought this mobile um, mobile act this, this sort of mobile front to the business and, and the, the order ahead, the throughput stuff. I mean, yeah. they've really they've really done well there. Um, and that's you know Starbucks is is just really missing out on the, on the food side. I just can't help but wonder if that would, it, it's not even like Panera's all that expensive, and it's got a pretty big uh, pretty big store base. But it's yeah. it's not the size of Starbucks, obviously. But it seemed like it could be an interesting combo. Sometimes I wonder if the display case that they have the food sitting in kind of turns people <laughs> off because some of that food doesn't look all that appealing to me, having sat there for for a while. So I think maybe if they just left the menu out there. You'd be a little bit more aware. That would be an interesting test. Yeah, I think that'd be a very interesting test. Thank you to uh, Paul Hooper in Austin, Texas, for flagging this next story for us, and that is the iconic Ronco brand <laughs> filing to go public for anyone of a certain age. I, I, I think maybe everyone is familiar with Ronco, but if not, I mean Ron Popeil, the founder of Ronco. The innovator in terms of late night infomercials, the pocket fisherman, the just all the different Ronco decks. Yes, what uh, Ronco brands and Popeil sold it. I think about two thousand four. It is now a company in debt and looking to raise money. And so, Jason, this is not sort of the typical IPO they're doing. This I. I, I I started to read about the machinations of what they're doing with the SEC, and then frankly, I just I fell asleep because it was just <laughs> it was like so in the weeds. But it's it's not the big sort of fanfare IPO that we see typically. It's a little bit of a backdoor to going public. But rest assured, as much affinity as I have, as much nostalgia as I have for Ronco Brands, this is a business I want nothing to do. With. Well, I think that's what they're banking on, right? There's the nostalgia of people who are familiar with or remember. Sort of this time in our lives. I mean, I remember it very well growing up, and I, I mean, I have to believe that uh, Troy McClure on The Simpsons was was part. <laughs> this this was an inspiration, at least. I mean, yes. I feel like Troy Troy McClure. He's the perfect spokesman for this. Um, you know, start talking about the juice loosener and all that stuff. I mean, I just I feel like there's timeless, endless jokes here. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a very sort of non traditional. Idea as as far as like IPOs go, I think it it um, it requires a lot of ifs to be satisfied in order for anything to possibly work out. Um, 
I think they were saying if you, if you buy a thousand dollars worth of shares, you get twenty percent off of Ronco products. If you buy five thousand dollars worth of shares, you get like a free rotisserie <laughs> machine. I mean, I feel like just they're they're really trying to to tug it tug at their their current base's heartstrings to get them to to raise a little bit of money and, and keep this thing going. It's got a pretty speckled history too. I think bankruptcy at least a couple of times. Yeah. Um, so not the not the most compelling story. Sounds like a pretty challenged top line. I think this this is probably a. A business where its best days are behind it, but I guess you can't fault them for trying. Using some infomercial tactics there to sell their shares. If you buy now in the next twenty minutes, yeah. you get extra five shares. If if I gave you a Ronco product for free, what would you take? You've had a chance to maybe click around their site. I mean, obviously the pocket fisherman is. is what is that? Ma- a seat, a fillet knife, and a net, something yeah. like that. Oh, it's all kinds of things. Yeah. But the, I, I, you know, I was looking at some of their kitchen gadgets. Some of them look pretty interesting. Some they, of them they, look interesting. Here's the thing: I, I don't have a big kitchen. They got a pasta maker that it's it's, it's kind of intriguing. I to was going to say I just doubled my kitchen space here, and so I could see making some room on the counter for the pasta slash sausage maker. I don't know that I'd be making all that much sausage, but right. we we eat a lot of pasta yeah. in our house, and I, I could definitely I could definitely see giving that thing a whirl. Hey, you're a chef. You probably make some homemade pasta every why, now and then. Why not? What about you, Taylor? Um, the beef jerky machine. I mean, it's fifty bucks. Make some make some beef jerky. Why <laughs> not? Is, you know what? That is and that dog is, treats and dried fruit. That is that is something like, you know, if you have a party or you're just taking a road trip with some buddies or whatever. It's like I got some beef jerky. Yeah. It's like oh, we, we, I made it. I made it. Boom. <laughs> the beef jerky machine. I knew I saw this. The, te- the dehydrator billed as, I quote, a one way ticket to meat lovers' heaven, end quote. Well, you figure 50 I mean, bucks, that's like five packs of beef jerky at the, at the gas station. So that it sells itself. Yeah. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Cliff Cata, who writes In many podcasts, you talk about starting with 10 stocks and working your way up to 30 stocks. How many stocks is too many? Being a buy-and-forget type of investor, I recently was surprised to learn that one of my largest gainers is Enbridge, and I completely (laughs) forgot that Enbridge and Spectra merged. I owned Spectra, not Enbridge. I now have upwards of 70 individual stocks, and keeping up with 70 companies is a bit of a challenge. And then, of course, wouldn't you just be better off with an index fund at that point, as you may be getting the same returns? It's a great question, and that's... (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh, Cliff, but that's just kind of funny. And I, I, I'm guessing that the three of us have been in not necessarily that exact same position as Cliff. I know I have been in the position of looking at my portfolio and being surprised at something. Oh yeah. And in my case, it's uh, it's happened a couple of times where I, I own a stock and it is trading much lower than I thought it was, and I just have that flicker of panic and oh my god, what happened here? And it and it split. And I just fell asleep at the wheel and somehow missed the news that the stock had split two for one. Um, but to his question, how many stocks is too many, Jason? That's a very difficult answer. Personal, where yeah. it is, it is. I mean, I hate to say the the short answer is it depends. And I mean, I know that probably is something we say more often than not. But I think uh, a lot of that depends on the individual's mentality. So I mean, I I, I would consider myself. I think I have probably a much higher risk tolerance than probably a lot of a lot of our listeners do. Which so I mean I don't mind running a very concentrated portfolio of mine. So you know I may own ten or twelve stocks, but I, I think that the point that he makes and where you're up to seventy and even more and it becomes more and more difficult to track. I mean that that is that is something to keep in mind because really I think 
if if your goal, like I don't ever feel like the goal of investing is to go in there and beat the market. I think that's sort of a byproduct of just smart investing. And I think smart investing really boils down to finding the best businesses out there, exceptional companies, buying their shares at reasonable prices, and then just holding on to them indefinitely. And exceptional businesses, by definition, aren't aren't a dime a dozen. I mean, they are they are uh, limited. So I think when you get to the point. Where you feel like you're having trouble keeping up with the actual holdings that you have, that's probably your sign that maybe 70 is too many for you. Maybe you need to to throttle it back to something like 50. Where you get it to where that get into that zone where you feel like you're comfortable knowing that you understand what you own and why you own it. Um, and and then I, I think that the flip side to that is. Definitely own some shares of an S and P index fund. I, th- I think there's. I think that's a no brainer. I think everybody should. I do. I think because that that's that's just an easy way to make sure that you're participating um, and being a part of that greater market. And then I think investing in individual stocks gives us the opportunity to try to do better. And really, the way we do better is by hanging on to those shares of exceptional businesses for long periods of time. Yeah, I don't know if I could own seventy stocks personally. Um, currently own about, I couldn't. Yeah, currently own half of that, and that's only because I got married last July, so now I'm monitoring ten extra stocks. Um, I had twenty five <laughs> before that. That's honey. So yeah, I, I mean, was gonna say, was there a little edge in his voice? They're like, no, 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 no. That's a, it's, it's a good problem. It was, it was, it was uh, some good companies in there, and uh, ones that I hadn't owned. So that was a nice little diversification instantly. But uh, yeah, thirty five stocks right now, not counting like mutual funds in a four hundred one k, but. Um, Seventy would be way too much for me, but congrats on on the Spectra Embridge. Um, that's a, I, I got Embridge shares, came across them the same way as he did through the through Spectra Energy. Um, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to lose out on the Spectra Energy growth, but now very well diversified oil oil and gas. So good problem to have to, to open your portfolio and see that um, the largest energy infrastructure company in North America is your your best performer. I, th- I think another. Uh, point to keep in mind, and we sort of deal with this challenge. It's an ongoing challenge in MDP. Is depends on also what types of companies you're owning, mm-hmm. because if you're a small cap investor or or a rule breaker style investor where you're betting on these these riskier smaller businesses, then you you really do need to own a lot of them in order for that strategy to to, to pay off, because it's very difficult to pick the winners because it's just they're not all going to win. And so if you invest in small caps and rule breaker style holdings, then you probably are going to need to have a portfolio with 40 or 50 holdings or even more. And you're also going to have to accept the fact that you're probably not going to be able to keep up with it really as well. But the assumption there is that you're I not mean, really you can, planning you can, to do that anyway. But you just need to spend more time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean that's that's kind of the point with that investing is you you're you're buying all of those names knowing that some of them aren't going to work out very well, but that you're buying this big basket of those those smaller cap riskier style holdings because some of them will end up paying off. Um, so so that's another thing to keep in mind. I mean, if you're just owning these stalwart businesses that don't really require much in the way of following and keeping up with them, you can you can own a lot of those too and not even worry about keeping up with them because they are big, solid, successful businesses for a reason. Kudos to not fretting about your portfolio on a daily basis because yeah. that's yeah, something that before I joined the fool years back. Um, that was something that I could be found guilty of quite often, and and oh, yeah, work, working here, yeah, checking checking your portfolio a couple times a day. Yeah, now it's like, well, let's let's see what's happening, or if I see something on Google Finance that that uh, tricks my trigger, I'll go ahead and poke around a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's not an everyday adventure for me anymore. 
one more email. Uh, this came in last Thursday. I, it's important to timestamp this email. This is from Byron Reams, uh, and I'm assuming he's from South Carolina. Hey now. He writes, I was so pleased to hear the recognition of sports excellence in the state of South Carolina. Uh-huh. If the Gamecocks manage to pull off the unthinkable and win the NCAA championship in basketball, then what will have transpired over the previous year? This is where I pause and say, Unfortunately, they lost to Gonzaga tonight. The championship between Gonzaga and University of North Carolina will take place. Back of a fight, though. I think I know the greater point you're getting ready to hit. Um, Byron continues, Last May, Coastal Carolina, which is in Conway, South Carolina, won the college baseball national championship. Clemson took the college football national crown in January, and fingers crossed, USC, and I do mean the USC, (laughs) wins the college basketball title. When has that ever happened in the span of one year within one state? Well, I did the research, and it happened in 1972, when the other USC won in football and baseball, and UCLA won in basketball. But I don't think it has ever happened at three unique schools in the same state in a one-year span. Additional food for thought. Consider that the South Carolina women are in the Final Four, and congrats to them for winning the national championship. Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, and in about a week, the Masters will be contested, and the current favorite has to be Columbia, South Carolina-born Dustin Johnson, who also played golf for Coastal Carolina. Not bad for the 24th most populous state in the United States. What's in the water, Jason? Listen, guys. I mean, <laughs> I know we've talked about the fact that I moved up here from Georgia, but my birth certificate clearly says I was born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina. Yes, now, now, I mean, now hey, it comes to life. Wofford Terrier, Spartanburg. I mean, listen, that's just really exciting news for a lot of people down there in South Carolina because I have friends that went to all of those colleges, Coastal Carolina included. I, that, that's just really neat. I mean, you wouldn't think of it yeah. when it comes to just a relatively small state like yeah. South Carolina, but I've got a lot of friends who have been very happy this past year. I was watching some of the uh, the women's championship yesterday. Um, really good game between Mississippi, Mississippi State knocking off UConn. Yeah. I mean, dramatic that, fashion. As, that buzzer as, beater was phenomenal. As far as consolation prizes go, um, Mississippi. Yeah, easy for me to say. Mississippi State <laughs> certainly has one there. But uh, kudos to South Carolina women. Um, I was saying before we started taping, uh, Don Staley, who's the coach there, I, I've been a fan of her since she was playing basketball at the University of Virginia 20 plus years ago. Just fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I had not taken in the overall multi sport excellence All-encompassing of South Carolina, but uh, good to know. All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.